Always good to be here with you in Waterford. It's always fun to be here. It's always fun to be live and alive. Thank you, John. When you get my age, alive is good. And uh, every day that you wake up, it's like, okay, here I go again. This is, this is, this is all right. So here's the question I have for you today. What, what kind of impression do you leave? I mean, when people meet you, when you go into groups and, and maybe meet people for the first time or, or you have, have chance encounters with people, what, what's the impression that you leave? How do people view you? I, I have to be honest. I, I want people to think well of me. I'd like to be appreciated. I'd like to be respected. Um, I have... Uh, Two pair of glasses. I just like, want to share that with you. This is one pair, obviously. It's on, on my head right now. Um, they had a two-for-one sale at the Vision Works that I went to. Vision Works right down the office from our, uh, the, the way from our Herndon office uh, uh, in, in our main campus. And uh, so I thought, man, I get to have two pairs of glasses. That's really cool. So this, this pair I, I wear, they're, they're sort of like, these are more my mo- more modern pair, you know, I'm sort of with it because people, I see people wearing this. And uh, this I go with my more colorful outfits, the blues and the, and, and the colors. My other pair is is it's they're they're a little bit more sleek. They've got this this gray steel and and when uh, my blacks and grays I wear that one. I actually change glasses with what I wear. Aren't you impressed? And you're shaking your head. You go, you are too old to do that. Don't do that. That's silly, right? But I want to impress people. I want people to think well of me, even the way I dress. We uh, had a course when I was in grad school. It was in, in a course in marriage and family therapy. We had an ethics course, and ethics of our profession. We learned all about what we could and couldn't do, what we could say and not say. And uh, our instructor one day said, hey, you know, they did a study, and uh, they, the study was on people who visited counselors and therapists and what they wanted, the number one thing that they wanted in their counselor and their therapist. And, and she said, what do you think that is? So we're going around the table, you know, with the symposium we're in. We're thinking, well, they want someone to listen to them. That's it, right? Yeah, that's good, but not quite. Uh, they want someone to really be empathetic. Yeah, that's good, but that's not quite on point. They, they want someone to solve their problems. No, that's not, not, that's not quite. I was, I was a little surprised at what the, res, what the result of that survey was, but I've never forgotten it. You know what people come to, go to see counselors want most? They want someone who will like them. They want someone that says, hey, I, I like you. People want to be liked. You and I like to leave good impressions. And we live in a culture that's constantly leaving impressions. One of the consistent criticisms of social media that I hear, and I'm on social media, I, 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 I enjoy catching up with people that way. It, it, it seems to be, a, see what cool, exciting, extraordinary thing I've done lately. Have you ever noticed that on social media? This is a lot of people, and, and I'm, I really like to see where my friends are going and what they're doing. But I just did a sample when I was preparing this message. On, on uh, These are some of the things that they were on social media. The people were on a cruise. That, that looked fun. They seemed to have a good time. People were retiring. That's always fun for me to see people smiling when they retire. That's good. Uh, some was at the JW Marriott. That looked like a nice hotel to go to. Skiing in Utah, I was really envious of that post. That looked really fun. New Smyrna Beach, you know, we all sort of go to New Smyrna Beach, but it's nice to know when people are there, right? Uh, Marco Island was another one. People were golfing. There were pictures from Montana. All people who were smiling, they had very happy faces. They were just enjoying themselves and just having a great time. 
I like what they're doing. I like their lives. It's impressive, isn't it? It's impressive. We're at the last part of a very important book in the Bible, a very important letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers in modern-day Turkey in this Galatian region. And uh, Paul uses this last part of this letter to leave an impression, a very important impression, because he wants to drive home all the things that he said in the previous uh, parts of that letter. And I want us to look at the impression that he leaves uh, by looking at this last passage. If you have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 18. Uh, the, the passage is also on the back of your bulletin, so you can follow along as I read that. Let's look at that passage together. Galatians 6, starting with verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people, there's our word, by means of the flesh, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of God. Okay, if you weren't here for the previous several weeks that we were on this book, uh, let me just review real quickly, and those of you who are here just want to refresh your memory. Galatians is a book written to this, this, these new believers in this area. Paul was passing through this region when he became ill, and most uh, scholars and, and, and theologians think that it was probably something to do with his eyes. He probably had some ophthalmia, some attack of, of an eye infection, and he was he was down for the count, and he had to stay in Galatia, and he was ministered to uh, by some, some people in, in, uh, who were there in Galatia. And as they ministered to him physically, he shared the gospel with them, and many became believers in Jesus. And so Paul, as he went on his, his, his way, uh, heard back from them and found out that there were, there were men who had come to the, these, this new group of believers and said, hey, Jesus is great. It's really good that you're, that you're following him, but you've, now you've got to follow the Old Testament law because Jesus was Jewish and the Old Testament law is important and uh, you're not born Jewish, but now, now that you believe in Jesus, you've got to add all this Old Testament law with this as well. And so they began introducing all these traditions, all these rules, all these things that they need, needed to, to follow. And Paul, when he heard about this, just was alarmed because what they were doing is they were saying it's Jesus plus. Jesus is fine, but you've got to do this as well if you're going to really be acceptable to God. And his whole letter is focused on the fact that that, that is not true. You don't need anything beyond what Jesus has done for you and what he is doing for you right now and is what he's willing to do for you in terms of eternity. So, this is a special part because you see the first verse, verse 11, Paul says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So you can envision Paul most likely is dictating this letter 
and, and he's going through all these things that he's, he's communicating. This, this scribe is writing down all his words. Finally, Paul gets to the end of the letter and he grabs the pen himself. And he says, I'm going to write the last part of this letter. And because of his poor eyesight, most likely he has to do very large letters just to see what he's writing. So he lets them know that this last part, he's taking pen in hand because he wants to impress them that these words are really, really important. And he sums up this whole letter in this way. So there are things that he's communicating to them, and, and I just want to share three that, I, that, that stick out to me. These, these people who they were trying to lead them astray, first of all, didn't embrace the inevitability of suffering. He says, uh, those, those want to impress people by means of the flesh, trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to, what? Avoid being persecuted. So these, these supposed leaders, these pseudo-leaders, are, are basically saying, hey, it's fine to follow Jesus, but we don't want to get in, in, in trouble with, with these Jewish leaders, so we're just going to do both and. We're going to play both ends against the middle. He says, no, you cannot do that. And they did it because they didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to suffer. It is a fact that our faith is a call not just to follow Christ. It's, it's a call not to just to live a godly life, but it's a call to hardship as well. Jesus told his disciples in John 16 as he's preparing them for his death and for all the drama that's going to come in that week preceding Easter. He says, I've told you this so that you'll have peace by being united to me. And the Good News Translation translates the next sentence in this way. The world will make you suffer. The world will make you suffer. But be brave. I've defeated the world. There are a lot of things that I don't like, and one of the things I don't like is suffering. Can you join with me on that? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, thank you. I don't want to suffer, do you? But there is a, there's a call to the fellowship, what Paul says in another letter, the fellowship of, of Christ's sufferings. I hear this statement a lot um, as people are struggling in, in a certain area of their, their lives and are trying to decide which direction they need to go. They're trying to decide should they follow what God wants or, or, or what they, they desire to have, and, and they sort of try to, try to get those things connected by this statement. I, I believe they'll tell me that God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And Paul, Paul addresses a lot of false teaching in, in this book to the Galatians. And I think one of the, one of the present-day false teachings that we have is this, God wants them to be happy. God wants me to, 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 uh, to uh, be totally successful. I believe God wants me to be joyful. I think God wants me to be content. But I don't think God wants me necessarily to be happy all the time. I think about this when I think about parenting. Uh, University of Minnesota years ago did a parenting study on, on what, what are the most effective parents. And uh, they did uh, two, uh, two criteria that they had. One was parents who, who showed a lot of love and affection, and then parents who showed a lot of discipline and, and, and had boundaries for their children. So they're like four quadrants, uh, high discipline, 
high love, high discipline, little love, high love, no discipline, no discipline, no love. The, the, the high discipline, high love was authoritative. That was considered the most effective parenting style, by the way. Love and limits. And, and children, even though they don't profess it all the time and will push back a lot of times, that's what they really truly desire. And then the, the, author, the, the authoritarian parents, a lot, a lot of limit, limits, no love, and the, a lot of love, no limits, they were not as effective at all. But you know, the worst parenting style was the permissive, the neglectful parenting style, no love, no limits. Can you imagine if, you're, if your parenting had to only revolve around one thing, my child must be happy at all times. Can you imagine parenting that way? So when your child is, is, is four and they don't want to eat a certain thing, you say, bless your heart. No, honey, you don't have to eat that because I want you to be happy. You don't want to go to bed now? No problem. I, I want you to be happy. Can you imagine parenting kids like that? Some of you have seen kids parented like that. You don't like those kids, do you? You don't have to go to school. You don't have to wear that. You don't have to, you don't have to say something that's polite because we, you know, we want you to be happy. No, it doesn't work that way. There are limits that, that God's called us to. There, there are difficult times, I believe, that God wants us to go through. And I don't want to go through them. And Paul's saying to the Galatians, look, these, these leaders, they want to play both ends against the middle. They, they don't want to be persecuted. Don't, don't make that your primary goal. And I have to confess to you, I'm a fly-under-the-radar kind of guy. I, I don't like to create a stir, if you know what I mean. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be pointed out. I was in college. I had a professor. My last name is Keller. I remember his name because his name was Kellermeyer, Professor Kellermeyer. And he, had a, he was a world history professor. Loved the course. And uh, we were going through that, and we were on the, uh, on the uh, time of world history with the Reformation, and he was talking about all the religious struggles that were going on. And, and uh, in the middle of this class, the world map that was on the wall behind him fell to the floor, just crashed to the floor. And so he looked around and put it back up, and uh, then he was talking about people's belief in God back then. He says, hey, you know, you know they actually believe that God was around and, and, and that he had every detail that he was involved in. Like, how many of you believe that God knew that that map fell? How many of you believe that? He, he said, there I'm sitting in the class, and he's asking the class this. I was not a paragon of spirituality there, but I did have a faith in God. Do you think that I would raise my hand and say, oh, Professor Calamari, I do, I believe God did that? No. I don't want people to look at me like I'm weird, right? I don't want to suffer. How do you respond in your professional life when someone talks about faith, Christians, God? You like to fly under the radar or, or, or will you speak up appropriately and kindly and lovingly? How are you in your school? When, when that's considered not to be all that cool. How, how are you in your athletic teams? How are you when you do your recreation? How are you in your family of origin when you get together for holidays and your Uncle Joe is the, the skeptic and you go, oh boy, do we have to do this again? What are you willing to step in? Paul is calling these people say, look, 
Don't follow those people who are going to fly under the radar. They didn't embrace the inevitability that there will be hard times, there will be suffering. Second thing they didn't embrace is that they didn't embrace the cross of Christ. Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. All they wanted to boast in is, is this outward show of religiosity that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. They were, they were pointing these people in a direction that they should not go. The focus wasn't on what Christ had done. It was on what they were doing. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. I get in trouble when I don't focus on the cross of Christ. Paul says, may I never boast except on the cross of Christ. So here's the question now. What are you boasting in? What are the things that you think, okay, this is, this is, this is what I'm proud of. This is what I want to elevate in my life. Am I boasting in my professional life, my relational life, my financial life, my recreational life? Are, am I making all those pursuits while embracing the cross of Christ? Because if I embrace the cross of Christ, I remember why I'm here, who I am, and what Jesus has done for me. And it affects all that I say and all I do if I'm focusing on that. It's easy. I don't know about you. It's easy for me to, to look at what I've done or what I, what I need done my way or I need to win, that kind of mentality. We, we moved a couple months ago. We lived in, in, a, in a place where I had my office and my, my home that was adjoining uh, uh, each other. And uh, we just decided that we wanted just a sort of conventional home where you get a little bit more separation from my office. So we, just, we didn't move far. We just moved around the corner from where we actually lived before, but we, we have a house. And with a new house, you know, moving is stressful. Can I just share that with you right now? It's not fun to move. And people my age, the government should move us. That's what I believe. <laughs> um, they've decided not to do that, and we had to move ourselves. And so then with the settling in is that you've got to now redo everything that you've done before. I, you know, I thought we were great, but now we've got to do things fresh and new. Well, I've got ideas. I've got a great sense. I have a, such a great artistic sense. I, I, you know, I love doing that. So we get in this, and, and I go, hey, how about this? And, and uh, my wife and, and a friend of ours was helping us in terms of the, the design of our house, and I'd make suggestions, and they'd look at me and go, well, that's a good idea, and then they'd go do what they wanted to do. Can you imagine that? And uh, it always turned out great. I really liked what they'd done. But I thought, you know, I was thinking, you know, I need to, I need to stake my claim here. I need to, I need to do something that I want to do. So... We have a little outdoor area that's covered out our back door. Our house is painted white. The walls were white. I said, I want to paint those walls a different color. My wife looked at me and said, oh, okay. Can we get a second opinion? I said, sure, but I'm going to do it. Got a second opinion. It didn't go with mine. I did it anyway. I, had, I won't tell you 
the antics I had to go through to have it done, but I, I had it done my way. We painted that wall green. And they came and painted it, and I put the furniture back that we had, the outdoor furniture back, and it didn't look good. <laughs> it didn't look good at all. So yesterday I watched the wall being repainted a different color. And uh, you, know, you know what my problem is? I want it done my way. There's a humility that comes when you embrace the cross of Christ. Paul says, I, don't, I can boast in a lot of stuff, but I choose to boast in the only thing that I really can boast in, and that's that I'm a follower of Jesus. And then Paul says this, another thing. They, they not only didn't embrace their suffering, or they, they didn't embrace the cross, cross of Christ. He says they, they, didn't embrace, they don't embrace what really counts. And you see what he, what he says here. What counts is the new creation. What counts is Jesus came and he made all things new. He makes all, we sang about the first song we sang. He makes all things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What's, what, what's this new creation? It's, it's the fact that we have a totally new start. One that's centered in and given life by the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit who lives in us. I say this statement, I hear this statement as well. So many people, if I only had to do over again, if I only had it to do over again, right? If I could just do this over again. My marriage would be different. My profession would be different. I, I, I'd say things, you know, oh, I say this about my college days. If I only had my college to do over again, I would, I would have embraced it. I would have learned more. I wouldn't have just skated through by the skin of my teeth. I would have embraced it. If I only had to do it over again, I would have saved more money. How many times have you said, oh, I should have saved more on that. I should have been more careful here. If I only had to do it over again, I never would have bought the RX-8 I bought several years ago. That was just silly. We don't have to say that as, as new believers. I became a believer in Jesus Memorial Day of 1971. I'll never forget that day because that day is the first day I really felt forgiven. When I really was released from all this guilt and shame and where I felt this newfound freedom in terms of my relationship with Christ. And when I realized that every step of my life, every decision I made, every, every direction I went, had a whole new meaning because Jesus makes all things new. The point that Paul's making here is it's not what you are doing that will determine your relationship with God. It's what's been done for you. And what we do in return is have a loving and obedient response to whatever God calls us to. You and I, have been afforded the opportunity to do a total makeover, to become brand new. I've mentioned before, if you've heard me speak, my, my father 
uh, was a World War II veteran. Uh, he was in the Navy uh, during those years in South Pacific. That's where he served. He was a CB, construction battalion in the Navy. They would go in and uh, they would level jungles and put airstrips in for our flyers so, so we could advance and, and uh, do the uh, complete the missions that they were called to. Uh, my parents, uh, when we lived in Massachusetts, this was in the 1980s, uh, came up to visit for an extended time. And I remember vividly one, one evening we took them out to dinner, uh, this nice restaurant, Storton Tavern in, in Western Springfield, uh, close to where we lived, and, and uh, we had a great meal. I remember this meal because uh, it was the time when we began to really ask my dad some questions about a service in the military. He didn't talk about it hardly at all, didn't, wasn't inclined to do that. Those were difficult times. But we began to ask, began to ask questions, and, and uh, he, he was willing to answer. He talked about the places that he had visited, going across the equator for the first time, the relationships he had, the, the men he served with, that, um, some of which lost their lives talked about some of the hard times that he had. Uh, my dad was never injured physically, but he, he contracted malaria while he was serving in the South Pacific and, and uh, went through several bouts, very, very severe condition. Talked about uh, being bombed every day. The airstrip where he was at this time was bombed every day by the Japanese, and, and they, he'd have to get up from his hospital bed and, and, and get a helmet and run and, and go to a foxhole and... and uh, he said, one day, he said, I was so sick. He said, I just didn't move. They were coming. I said, just, he said, just bomb me. I don't care. I, 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 I don't feel great. I remember, I remember how I felt when I heard my dad relate all these stories and uh, realizing that my dad, my dad was uh, a great man. And he bore on his body, not those physical scars, but internally those scars that... Uh, said that he was a man who'd been in battle. He was a man of substance. Paul, when he ends this letter, makes a statement that I think culminates the emotions of his letter, and it's that second to last verse in this passage. When he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul, who was beaten. Paul, who was ostracized. Paul, who was stoned one time. Paul is saying to them, look, and I can see him writing this in these large letters with his own hand. He's saying, this is who I am. Remember who I am. Don't give me any more trouble because I bear the marks of Jesus. And then he closes the letter with this little grace note, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But I think with that verse before, he drops the mic and says, come on. Quit doing this Jesus plus. Don't, you, you can't fudge around with this. Take it for what it is, the new creation and what God has called you to. Embrace it, be obedient to him, and enjoy that fellowship. So perhaps a better question than what kind of impression do you leave would be this question. What kind of impression will you leave? What are people going to say about you when you leave this earth? What are they going to say about you 
when you're not around anymore. Jay Kessler, who was uh, president of Taylor University and a great speaker, committed Christian, said this uh, recently. He said, I want to live my life so that I'll at least have eight friends at my funeral. And I thought, that's, that's not bad, right? Eight friends. He said, eight friends, one who can grab each handle of my casket. I want to have those people around me. That's the impression that I want to leave. So the call that Apostle Paul makes to you and to me, not just to the Galatians, is this. We're called to embrace our suffering and count it a privilege to enjoy this fellowship with Christ. To embrace the cross of Christ, to have that in our minds and whatever we say and whatever we do and embrace what really counts. You and I, in Christ, have a new life. We're a new creation in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the call that you give us to follow you. I pray that we would not boast in anything. And I pray for myself, each man and woman here, that our confidence and our focus would be the cross, Jesus, that you sacrificed your life for us. You gave your life so we could have life. I pray that that would be internalized in a way that we would not just know it, but we, it would change who we are and what we do. Help us, to, help us to live in the joy of our new creation. And thank you, Lord, because you're the one who caused it. It's in your name, your righteous name we pray. Amen.